The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 189 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders. And this week we are returning to the best bits from our previous podcasts. And this week we are focusing on pillar number three, which is the investment pillar. And thank you all for your feedback from last week's episode where we compiled some previous guest interviews around the topic of business. And there were some interviews there that perhaps you might have missed. So go and check that out if you haven't done so already. And I will link to that in today's show notes. So investments, what are your views? Are you an investor yourself? Are you a fan of the markets or do you just simply see them as a roller coaster that you have no control over? Well, you'll be hearing differing opinions on today's episode and we'll be featuring several guests from our back catalogue of podcasts. And we're running up to our 200th episode. So we thought it would be a good time to dive back into the archives and pull out some of those gems that you may have forgotten about or maybe have never, ever heard before. So if you'd like to download some curated playlists, then you can head to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash wealth talk, and you will see the different pillars and compilations which you can choose to listen to. So like a hand-picked selection, a gift from us to you to save you time. And we're kicking off by rewinding back to episode 174, which featured best-selling author Andrew Cray. If you invest in something sensible every month by direct debit from that kind of age, from your late 20s or 30s, for the whole of your life, you know, there's tons of academic empirical evidence to, to credit this, this statement, but you have a very, very good chance of becoming quite significantly wealthy. And so, you know, that, that, that if you like, is the big picture top down. Isn't it a shame that financial literacy is really poor and hardly anybody actually does that? You know, a vanishingly small percentage of our society does that. If you see investing as a holistic, basically all assets in all major geographies, that you have a geographical and an asset hedge. So in a year like 07, 08, 09, where the stock market halves, gold's up 20%, it was up 19.5% in 2009 in dollar terms. You know, oil hit an all-time high in the middle of 2008 when everything else was plummeting. And, and it's, you know, the Rothschild family, Harvard and Yale universities, Oxford and, and Cambridge universities, all the sort of smartest, wealthiest people in history have invested in this own-the-world way and the other corollary to that is if you do that, if you basically set up something sensible to capture all major asset classes in the, and when I say all major geographies, you don't have to finesse it any more than basically the US, Europe, and Asia. Um, and if you do that, uh, you know, and what are all major, major asset classes? Well, basically shares, property, bonds, well, bonds is a bit of a sticky one, but interest rates, cash, let's call it cash. Um, commodities and, and you know the other the other core asset classes and if, if you do that particularly if you do it regularly every month so from your from the first time you can invest until the time that suddenly you wake up and go goodness me I've got a huge pot of capital I could potentially live on now um, you know th- that that is a very kind of sleep at night way of approaching your finances long run wealth generation doesn't require massive income and there are lots of bankrupt celebs who had massive income but never learned this stuff. And there are lots of people from every stripe of, you know, every walk of life who are millionaires by the time, you know, even in, if you start in your late 20s, you can be a millionaire in your 40s, even with relatively conservative assumptions 
And, and I always say it's a 20, ideally a 30 or 40 year journey. If you want to get near to that 9% return, which is a great return, then you need only buy every month for a long, long, long period of time. Now, that doesn't really help you in terms of cash flow, but it does help you in terms of wealth generation. And now, um, you only need to do that with a relatively small percentage of your assets, right? Um, so, so yeah, it's different. It's a, it's different to property, and it's it's a different pot. But if you don't have that pot, then you're likely to suffer from what we what many commentators call underperformance risk. You know, if you're not if you're not getting into the juicy returns you can get from equities, the long run returns, and you have to wear volatility. So, you know, stock markets do crash by fifty percent or so every ten years or so. And but that if you're buying every month, that doesn't matter because you you know last month you bought fifteen hundred, and now you're buying at six six six. And then 710 and then 900. I'm talking about the S&P in 07, 08, 09. So it's very important that you have your system, you know what you're doing, you're long run and you're buying every month to smooth those returns. We invited the founder of Invest Like a Pro and Wealth Builders Wealth Coach and financial expert Manish Kataria. My mantra is the simpler you keep it, the more effective you'll be. And, you know, I've, I've been sort of full circle. I, you know, I got the, got my CFA qualification, which is chartered financial analyst. And, you know, I took things to, you know, um, you know, pretty complex levels uh, when you're working in the city but you don't actually need that you know and there's this whole thing about the financial industry which is you know deliberately complicates um, you know using jargon and using various different techniques and and um, and they only do that because the whole financial industry is so competitive and you know how do you differentiate yourself with your competitors by trying to trying to sort of create this perceived complexity and then i just came out of that and i said look really the best way to succeed in investing is to keep things simple and that's that's how i sort of um you know structure my program to demystify investing to to show people how uh, they can invest in a structured passive low cost way into etfs and stocks and funds uh, really to sort of beat inflation and to to get their money working harder for them um, than you know currently it may be, and and to keep things low cost, of course, because that's one of the key uh, one of the key leakages, which I know we'll talk about later. It's uh, you know the three leakages I'm trying to encourage people to to avoid are, are fees, taxes, and inflation. So that's a big area of focus. Taxes are a fairly, uh, are relatively easy to to avoid. That's kind of what I call low hanging fruit. So you know we have an annual ISA allowance. Um, everybody has an annual ISA allowance, which is um, enables you to invest um, in order to protect future gains, uh, future investment gains, and future investment income. Protect it, uh, you know, from tax. So these are tax shelters. So if you can try to make the most of your ISA allowances, uh, same for your pension allowances. So you have, um, you know, annual allowances in in pensions. So in SAS, and SIP, and 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 regular pensions. So again, these are free gifts from the government, from HMRC, and you don't often get those, right? So you know. Uh, always, I'm always encouraging people to try and make the most of these allowances, if you can. And as I mentioned, these are low-hanging fruit, available to everyone, not complex. Um, you know, all of the platforms out there enable you to sort of very quickly open up um, pension accounts. Um, you know, in 
uh, in SIPs or in ISIS, and and SASs I know are very popular amongst uh, you know your members and and property investors, and that's a, an amazing wrapper uh, if you can sort of get get exposure to SASs as well. So, but they all achieve the same thing, which is to enable you to enjoy your investment gains in a tax tax efficient way. So that's taxes. Historically, you know, going back 100, 150 years, it's uh, you know equities have um, appreciated by on average eight to ten percent per annum, and 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 there is a linkage, there is a historical linkage between inflation and equities doing well in the absence of hyperinflation. So I think the the study that you're referring to um, showed that as long as inflation stays sort of below fifteen percent. Inflate and equities have always uh, returned positive, real returns. So by real returns, I'm talking about inflation-adjusted returns. So, so there's always been a positive linkage. The only time things get a little bit uh, uncertain is when there's what's called hyperinflation. So, you know, typically that's sort of greater than fifteen percent. And when that happens, you know, all asset classes are, are, are at risk, right? Property included, because then what happens is that bond yields start going up, interest rates will start going up, and and then you know no asset class is safe. The only asset class that might be safe there is gold potentially. Um, but you know I I don't expect inflation to reach fifteen percent. I know things are bad right now, but I don't think we're going to get there. I think this is a temporary um, spike because of the supply side issues that we're seeing right now. I think. By the end of this year, we'll start start to see inflation sort of uh, stabilize and sort of come down from here. And that's a good environment for equities uh, to be involved in. Property investors are looking for ways to diversify. And stock markets are a natural way to do that. And the only kind of concern people have historically had with stock markets is about volatility. And you know, I show investors how you can invest whilst minimizing that volatility and earning decent um, and earning decent returns at the same time. So people sort of come along and they have very balanced, diversified portfolios. I show them ways in which they can sort of be be balanced and and sort of reduce that risk. And you can invest in things like factory ETFs, which give you uh, you know exposure to low volatility equities, but which have also sort of historically made decent returns. You can get exposure to income-producing equities, which again are very stable in nature, but they give you a, a really good dividend yield. You know, we're talking between four to eight percent per annum, and and people are getting really interested in options, which is also part of the Investment Academy program. So we have a whole module on options, and um, and people get very excited by options, and I do, and and it also happens to be one of Warren Buffett's favorite strategies because it's such a it's such an incredible asset class um and you know we're, we're getting uh, I'm, I'm getting some of my investors are getting you know anywhere between two to three percent per month returns on options um so so that's another sort of area which people are seeing a lot of interest in is gold an asset or is it simply a hedge well that was the conversation that kevin whelan and myself had in episode 80 we're looking today at the topic of gold, which mm-hmm. is, I guess, an alternative investment and uh, referred to as an asset often, Kevin, but in Wealth Builders' world, technically not. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, if you're an economist, you often refer to precious metals and commodities as an asset class. 
So from, from that point of view, it's known as an asset. But if we kind of reflect on what do we think in wealth builders is the definition of an asset, and I think we probably gave this in definition way back in early episodes of uh, uh, Wealth Talk, Chris. But an asset is something you own that is not you. It puts money in your bank account while you're asleep. Hmm, okay, so can you own gold? Yes. Does gold put money in your bank account while you're asleep? Well, it doesn't because gold doesn't have a natural flow of income. So we must acknowledge then, as true wealth builders together, that gold is not an asset, it's a hedge. It's a way to park money uh, where you are investing really in the stored value of gold because gold with its historical uh, connection, you're going back as far as you can imagine when humans first sort of traded in anything precious, gold has had that store of value. And because it's so rare, it maintains a store of value. So, so that's what you're buying into if you buy gold. And we don't make any recommendations of what people should buy, hold, or invest in. But gold is a hedge. So it's definitely worthwhile chatting about hedges because when times are troubled, most people hedge their money in cash. And cash has got all sorts of complexities. One is banking risk. If you leave all your money in the bank, what if the bank goes bust? You know, we've seen that almost happen, and certainly some banks have gone. Uh, you've also got, you know, interest rates are low, threat of negative interest rates, you know, so almost getting zero on your money. Um, maybe even back in the Wild West days, Chris, when you have to pay to store your money, yeah, that could happen, theoretically. don't think it will, but it could. That would be a negative interest rate. So gold is an interesting one because you can buy gold in relative small quantities. So it's a nice, easy hedge, and it also has a fascinating appeal, whether it's in coined form, Krugerrands and so on, or in jewelry form, uh, very popular in certain cultures, of course, um, or whether it's in bullion. You know, the important thing when you're building wealth is, you know, by diversification. So you're building wealth in multiple pillars. But also, in troubled times, you might want to keep more of your assets in a liquid or semi-liquid form. In other words, easily realizable from the format it's in into cash to enable you to reinvest or build other assets that you want to in business, property, joint ventures, and so on. So you know, gold has long been established as a place of storing value as well as other precious metals. But certainly gold would probably be the most popular one. And uh, so therefore, it's important to try, kind of understand how gold works. And one of the best ways to hold gold, in my view, Chris, is to, is to hold it in your pension. And, and particularly, you can't hold gold in normal pensions, you know, personal pension uh, that you've got or a work pension because they're not designed for that. They're only designed for the stock market, which is why we believe there's, you know, better alternatives to that. And one of those alternatives, which we hear a lot within our community, Chris, isn't it, is in the SAS, that small self-administered scheme that allows you to take control of your pension and therefore you can invest in whatever assets, whatever things you want to. In episode 161 of Wealth Talk, we invited Marcus de Maria, the founder of the Investment Mastery, to talk about the difference between trading and investing. 
explain to us what is the difference between trading and investing, Marcus? Well, for me, um, it's it's just as simple as uh, trading is more short term. So you're buying, selling, buying, selling. Um, and we always say that you'll be in there for days to weeks, whereas investing is more long term. So that might be months to years. And we've been lucky over the last few years, of course, since 2009, we've been in the longest bull market since the history of the stock market. You know, So we haven't had much uh, of, of, of the kind of the, the going down stuff. Uh, and and so it's really been months. But what might be coming up now uh, might be, yeah, finally, you know, we might have to be in there for a few years. It just delays the percentages that we get. They will still come. But uh, you might have to wait a little bit longer if we go into a bear market. Yeah. And what are some of the different skills required? Um, is trading suited to everybody? Do you see people who kind of pick it up any easier than others? Yeah, so so I think investing is something that most people can do, uh, but trading is a little bit different because you need a lot more focus. You really need to get out when you're supposed to get out. You also need to have a stop loss, you know, this electronic order when you get in at this price. And I love that, you know, to have this stop loss, like a net, you know, safety net. So yeah, you want it to go up as much as possible, but you also want to, you know, cut your losses. In fact, those are the two golden rules, really. If, if, if you if, if you want to really put tra trading into into two sentences, it's these two golden rules. So the first one is, um, you know, you've got to cut your losses. Like as as soon as you're in loss, so we say 1% of your entire portfolio. So let's say you have a £10,000 portfolio. You shouldn't be risking more than 1%, so 100. That's it, £100. Obviously, you want to make a lot more, but you, you only want to risk a little bit. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is to let your profits run as long as possible, right? So if you do the two, you're going to do very well. And people said to me, but Marcus, I do let my profits run. And I said, I know, but you also let your losses run. So you're not doing, you know, the small loss and the big gain. You're doing the big gain and the big loss. So, so that, that doesn't work. It's still one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. But then some people say to me, but Marcus, I do, I get out immediately. I say, I know, but I've noticed you also get out of your profits immediately as well. So, so they, they come out night, you know, nice stop loss. But as soon as they have, they go, oh, I've made, you know, 3%, you know, 5%, you know, that's more than I make in the bank. Yeah, but you can't do that. You're doing a, what, what we call a one-on-one a -on -one risk reward ratio. What, what you really need is you need a one, two, three, or four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, the losses need to be small. And the profits need to be uh, really big. So, and, and and a lot of people don't know that. If you think about Bitcoin going up an average of 170, depending on who calculates it, 170 to 200 percent a year since it started, you've got a pretty good chance in a sale for it to go up, right? If it's already been there, it's averaged 200 percent over the last few years, actually 13 years, um, and now it's at a discount. I think people need to do their research, I think. Yeah. So your long-term view of, of cryptocurrencies is they're not going anywhere. Um, well, but first of all, blockchain isn't going anywhere. And I, and I think that the payment mechanism is a decentralized uh, you know, cryptocurrency. So I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, people are talking about NFTs and, and the metaverse as being the big thing. I, I'm sure it is, but it's too early. You know, this this is speculation. You 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 think cryptos are speculation. This is gambling. You know, one hundred and one. So I haven't really gotten involved in that. But where I have a thirteen-year kind of track record, I'm I'm good to go on thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, I'm interested just to get your your thoughts on recurring income, because this is very much at the heart of, of how we help our members achieve Lovely. their financial security, their financial independence. And it's all about identifying well, how much you actually need in order to be you know, secure and, and independent. But awesome. then that requires an amount of cash flow being generated from assets on a monthly basis. So, you know, how can that work from trading, from investing, from the strategies that you teach? Yeah, so 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 I always differentiate between, you know, growing and and cash flow. Those are the two things that people probably want. You know, I need cash flow now and I want to make sure that later on when I'm not fit that that that, that I have enough enough money and if possible recurring revenue which would be even better. Um so if you're investing, that's much more long-term, so you can't rely on that recurring revenue coming right now. So if you want to do that, you have to do two things, especially in cryptos. One is trading, much more short-term. And whatever you think about, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street and all of those kind of things, that's not trading, right? Trading is really like, you can almost hear a cricket chirp in the background. It's like, click, okay, I'm going to have lunch now. You know, it, 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 the market does the work, you don't. And then the other thing is called staking. And staking is something which uh, translated into stocks as dividends, you know, because they give you 3 4 5% a year in, in, in the stock market. Uh, and that was needed, by the way, of course, because, the, because of inflation. We, we did need that, and the banks used to give us that. But that's all gone now, so we need that just to offset inflation. So with staking, which is the equivalent, you can get 8 9 10 20% even a year on, on cryptocurrencies, it is new. It's only been going for, you know, let's say five years or so. So there are risks involved. But on a daily basis, it's getting increasingly more stable as the infrastructure is being built. It's like the stock market, you know, years and years ago. Um, and so, yes, yeah, staking is another thing that you can do to get your um, 20% or 10% or whatever it is that you're looking for. Uh, a year. So those, those are really the main things when it comes to trading and investing in cryptocurrencies. Todd Tresida is a former hedge fund manager and financial blogger and coach, and he had plenty to say back in episode 69. I coached people one-on-one -on -one for 20 years. And in the process of coaching people, what I realized is you literally can't coach a person to financial independence unless you have a plan. The reason for that is the plan sits the backdrop. It's the context from which all decisions you make are made. And if you don't have a plan, then your decisions are haphazard. They're not cohesive. And so what ends up happening is you end up approaching financial independence without a plan. You end up approaching it not strategically, not efficiently. There's a tremendous amount of waste of resources, both time and money. Um, and so the plan is critical. You have to start with a plan. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you fully on that. That's it's funny you brought that up. Yeah. And simply just too many distractions in the world right now, aren't there, not to have that plan and keep you focused. Well, that's the thing. See, what happens is people would contact me and they'd say, hey, Todd, should I invest in XYZ? Or is it more important I start a business than do this investment? Should I quit my job and do this instead? And there was all these questions. And I was always like, well, what's your plan? You know, because your plan determines how you're going to approach this because your plan is where you integrate. Here's the thing about proper wealth planning when you do it right. You have to take, there's three asset classes that you build wealth with, right? You've got real estate, paper assets that your broker and financial advisor could sell you. And then you've got um, a business asset class. So only one of them is normally included in a financial plan, right? The traditional financial plan. But a wealth plan done right includes all three asset classes. Now, here's the rub. Each of these three asset classes has unique characteristics. 
And so they're not all the same and they don't all work for the same people. And that's why, you know, you see all these gurus out there and they're all making the same mistake. They'll say, oh, you got to do real estate my way, you know, and you got to, you got to do a business. That's how you get rich. Or you do the stock market and you do it this way. And that's how you, everybody's got their little secret to riches, right? What they're not telling you is that each one of these strategies has its own characteristics. And so you've got to be able to match the characteristics of the strategies that you employ in the asset classes you use to your specific characteristics in your life. Your time frame, your goals, your resources, what your interests are, what your skills are, all these things will shape what asset classes and strategies will work for you. That's how you put together wealth planning correctly, and that's why you can't answer all those questions without it, because that wealth planning process takes you through values clarification. It takes you through all these different issues you have to go through to integrate it into a wealth plan that will actually work for you. Wealth is actually the compound growth of both your personal resources and your financial resources. And so when people hang up on just an investment strategy, what they're thinking is they're getting stuck in a box of thinking. They're thinking, oh, it's just about my W-2 income or my wage income, how much I save from that income, and then I just need a better investment strategy because I need a higher rate of return. But they're not realizing, well, wait a minute. Paper asset investing, which is what most people think of when they think of an investment strategy, right? Like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, that kind of thing. When Paper asset investing is the most limited investment class. So there's strict mathematical limits to the growth of a paper asset portfolio. And I go into that in the course. It's probably beyond the scope of this uh, interview. But just trust me on it. And intuitively, you know it. You don't even have to trust me. Because if you look at the greatest investors of all time, none of them exceed 20% compounded. Right? And yet you can find tons of real estate investors and tons of entrepreneurs where their, their return on investment greatly exceeds 20% compounded. Like that would be not even that great in the entrepreneurial class, entrepreneurial investment class. And so what happens is the paper asset class is extremely limited, but everybody thinks, oh, I just need a better investment strategy for my portfolio. And that that's going to solve my investment problems. No, it's not. That's just one little tiny aspect of the whole thing. So it's not that it's wrong. It's just not the whole truth. And what happens is when you start looking at it that way, it limits your understanding of the different things you can do to improve your total return, to improve your wealth, to increase your security, um, diversification value. There's so many things that you can dig into once you expand your understanding of it. For paper assets to work in a reasonable frame of time, you have to save a, a very high percentage of your income. So it either means you have a very high income, like I did when I ran the hedge fund, or you spend very little. So that's the paper asset category if you want to do it in 10 years, like you were saying. If you, you know, Otherwise, you have to go to real estate and business. And so some people get, are very open to business and business entrepreneurship. Some people aren't. So you can close that one. The, the single highest probability success category is real estate. And that's because it's intuitive. Um, you know, the average person who lives in a house can look at a neighborhood and know if it's good or bad. They can look at construction without great construction background and know if there's deferred maintenance or not. Um, they know what makes a good home, a good floor plan. So it's very intuitive. Whereas paper assets are very counterintuitive. They work almost opposite what your intuition does. So again, you know, you kind of have to look at what you can bring to the equation and then start eliminating based on what your predispositions are. Only do business with people that add more value to life than they cost. If they put more money in your pocket than they cost you, then great. And so take that filter to your financial planner and just see if he's going to add more money than he costs to your portfolio. Um, most will fail that. 
you know, and that's unfortunate. And that's one of the reasons I got in this business and why I sell education only, not financial planning or investment products, um, is that, you know, I believe that's just a valid thing. You know, you want to add more value to your clients than you cost them. And so when you charge annual percentage of assets under management fees and you have cookie cutter management systems and things like that, which you have to have to run a business like that, um, you know, it's just, it's tough. So uh, did I answer your question? Basically be careful. Um, they're, they're financial planning as a whole is a sales business, not an investment management. They, they present themselves as investment experts, but in general, they farm out the investment management underneath them because they're busy gathering assets. That's how they get paid is they get paid by the amount of assets they manage as a function of the assets they manage. Um, again, I'm generalizing, right? There's, there's exceptions. Um, so just, have your eyes wide open. Understand what the business is. It's a sales business. Their job is to gather assets. They are generally, as a whole, not investment experts. Um, and they can be helpful. There's some things they can be helpful with. But be careful. There's a lot of conflicts and biases and um, things that you have to watch out for. You can't build your wealth well in pillar number three because you're relying on a market that somebody else has control over or the world has control over so you don't you don't really have that control so as we get into other pillars we'll realize we have got the ability to drive value to bring more of our own wealth dynamic more of our own skills and more of our own time and collaborations all those forms of leverage we don't really have too much to bring to the investment pillar because almost in all cases the money's parked it's given to somebody or some organization for them to do something with that we kind of hope works. And, you know, so there's a, a massive, massive challenge when people just hope that things will work. And I'm not sure that's a great basis on building wealth. Now, the stock market isn't a bad place, for example, for having some wealth invested once you built it, but it's not necessarily, in my view, the greatest place to build the wealth if you're simply not able to add control. You can't wake up today and say, I'm going to do something today that will change any market at all. You can't do it. You know, it's, we don't have enough money as individuals to do that. So we're, 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 we're very much relying on how a market works. And, and I would like to say there are four key things that anybody who's investing in a market should be aware of, and that's the acronym, Chris, of CRAP. So I'm not saying all investments are crap. I'm just saying here's an acronym, here's something or a mnemonic, nice and easy to use that you can uh, create as a filter before you make any investment. Okay, so we had a bit of fun with it, but let's get serious now. Okay, so kicks off with the C then, Kevin. Well, you know, if you understand that I said you can't control the market, what can you control? Well, the only thing you can really genuinely control is the cost of investing in that market. So that's the entry cost, the running cost, and the exit cost. And, you know, there are always costs when you buy into anything. And, of course, a good wealth builder is looking for value. They know there's a cost to do anything, but they want value from that. And that's how the stock market in any market really should be viewed. What is the cost of entry into the market? Now, of course, entry into things like cash, <clears throat> if you're in 
the bank, for example, you know, the cost of entry is not high, is it? I mean, you would argue it's probably zero. Mm. But it's the opportunity cost, isn't it? So in economic terms, um, and you know that's my background, Chris, there's the cost that is always got to be considered when looking at the true cost of anything and what's the opportunity cost. In other words, what can you do instead that will give you a better result, a more leveraged return that helps you towards building your wealth? Because all of the investments, the reason why people invest isn't to invest. They invest for some kind of outcome. And that outcome almost always is measured in terms of what's the return on the investment, as we call that an ROI, don't we? What's the return on my investment? Well, the return on your investment is always the what's the gross return, what's the total return, minus the costs of being in that. And you can never control the total return in any market, as I've said all along. So this whole area makes my blood boil a little because it kind of gets people into a process of thinking that this is super, super complicated and only experts can do this. And therefore, you should put your hands, or your money rather, into the hands of experts and their costs are reasonable. And in my experience, they're not reasonable at all if you measure two as a percentage of six, say, or even two as a percentage of 10. You know, you're still paying a quarter to a third and in some cases a half. I mean, look at the people who are holding money in retirement, you know, where their attitude to risk is likely to be lower, therefore their returns will be lower. But if their costs are similar, they could be paying 2% to get 4%. And that's like 50% of your money going to the industry instead of into the hands of the people who should have that money and should have their wealth and their security in place. So, um, you know, I'm not really a fan of a, <clears throat> of a market-based approach that just simply delegates the money to a third party. And I'm not saying advisors or the industry's got bad intentions. I'm definitely not saying that. I'm just saying that there's another way you can control your cost. You can access costs much more cheaply in almost any market, and in some cases free, or a fraction of 0.1%, you know, 0.2%, really, really very low cost if you pay attention to how you can access. And the running costs can be very low too, particularly if you're looking into um, investments where there aren't really any running costs at all. And in some cases, the running costs of the stock market can be very, very low if you know how to uh, buy into the marketplace as a whole um, at a fraction of the cost it would take if you use the intermediated service that is more often used. You know, the process of doing these things is so, so simple. It really is remarkably simple. As soon as you start just to think about, well, how do I want to invest? What percentage of the money do I have do I want to invest? What are the different markets that I could invest in? What do I like about them? Say, you know, we're talking today predominantly about the stock market. And I think we've been talking quite a while, so we probably have to do alternative markets next time. But <clears throat> if it's just the stock market, it's do I want to invest passively? Do I want to invest in a low-cost way? Do I want to invest in a way that reflects who I am? Once you know these things, and we can help with that process, you know, once you've got a few things, a few kind of parameters, 
do I want to invest with stop losses or not? Um, then you can you can learn that process within 30 days and run your investments for a fraction of the cost that you pay a fortune for, for someone who teaches you this, doesn't actually teach you, just does it for you once, sets it up once, and then gets to plug a siphon into your funds for the rest of your life. I'm not sure that's right. You know, Why not learn? Wealth building starts with education. Why not learn a little bit about yourself, reflect on who you are, learn a little bit about the way you can access the market, listen to some of our students, you know, how they're investing. Certainly don't invest like me. Invest like you. And you are uniquely you as the listener. Choose what you want. And if you want to be in a market, choose the best way and the best pathway into that market and let us guide you to the lowest cost way of getting in, managing the process, and then getting money out when you need it to invest in other assets or to simply continue to keep your whole wealth in balance. Because once you've made that decision, say you decide to keep 10% of your money in the market for the sake of a number, if things do really, really well, then you can rebalance that. So, you know, you've made some money, you've now got 12% in the market, you can decide to bank that 2% and put it somewhere else in a different market or in one of the other pillars or to pay for the education to for you to learn about a new pillar. See how all these things are so interconnected, Chris. Um, the whole essence of this is to not feel isolated and on your own or at the mercy of someone else who's just saying, this is the best way to do it, trust me. You know, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to stop, to think, lowest cost, lowest risk. Don't focus on just the accumulation model. Think about, you know, moving money to different places and seeing it balanced in your overall wealth plan and learn a process that we can share and teach with you, certainly in less than 30 days, that you'd be confidently able to start investing your money in a way that is so much more better value for you in the long term than giving it to so-called experts and paying them for the rest of your life. So there we go. I hope you enjoyed listening back to those clips from our previous episodes and that perhaps you uncovered an episode you may not have heard before. And please do dig back and listen to the full episode. Again, we have linked to all of them in today's show notes. So just click on your podcasting icon on your phone, wherever you're listening, and you should be able to go back and review those in your own time. So thanks again for listening. If there's somebody else you think might benefit, then why not share this episode with them and open their eyes to a whole world of opportunities when you look across the seven different pillars. And we've been focusing on business last week and of course investments today. And we'll be continuing this theme for the next couple of weeks, digging back into some of the other pillars of wealth. So as always, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.